So today we are talking about God's wisdom on staying sober. In other words, God's wisdom, this is a sermon that is about uh, drinking, and I will be really upfront, it would have been a lot easier to not do this message. It would have been a lot easier to find other topics that are in the book of Proverbs, uh, to realize that this is one that is going to make people uneasy one way or another that there might be some people that um, say, I, I don't want to hear a sermon about drinking, and this is, this is all you talk about, and it's really not. Uh, but this is one, because we're doing this message from the, these themes from the book of Proverbs, I think we have to deal with this because it is a, a big theme. But there are other reasons why it would have been easier to not do this. It's so easy uh, for this to come across, whether it's justified or unjustified, as, as legalistic or it's, it's preachy, or it's something that's, uh, that's real negative. And also I realize I'm running the risk of having people mad at me one way or another because of what I say or what I don't say, or you're too much this way or too much that way, and we might have, uh, I might be getting it from both sides this morning, I don't know. You might be like, well, you can preach on this, but only if you say what I want you to say, Pastor. But that's not my job here, and I hope this is something that is going to be Um, edifying to you and helpful to all of us. Before we get into this, I thought maybe it's going to be a little bit helpful for you to see a little bit some of my background. You want to see a picture of where I grew up? My childhood home? Here it is. I don't know what you have in your mind, what you're guessing, but here's my childhood home. Uh, For real, this is, I lived the first, uh, I had my mom send me this picture because I realized I didn't have one. This is the Back when it stood, the Question Mark Tavern in Adel, Wisconsin, a small town in Adel, a town of 500 people, had four taverns because uh, a lot of people loved to drink. And one of those that really loved to drink was my dad. And so before I was born, he bought this building, made it into a, a tavern, named it the, the Question Mark. And uh, this is where I spent the first five years of my life. So the bar was on the bottom and little apartment on the top. So those windows on the right, that would have been where my, my bedroom was. And so, yes, this is uh, not exactly a mansion. This is where I, I grew up above the uh, question mark tavern. As I said, my, my dad bought this because he, he loved to drink. And this is a time in my life where my dad had a lot of, a lot of rough living. And in fact, I remember my dad telling me at one point uh, later on, he said, Nate, you know, because it's a small town and people know each other and they know stories and they know all of this. And my dad was pretty well known uh, for uh, being a, a champion drinker. And he said, and this was, this was after uh, some change in his life, but he said, Nate, one day there's going to be someone that tells you some stories about me and you might want to just punch him in the face. And he said, but don't because they're probably true. And he didn't go into all the stories and everything that was involved, but I know there was some, a lot of rough stuff. And I remember uh, bits of it being in the tavern. I remember uh, he would kind of let me go behind the bar and use a thing and serve drinks. Um, this, is, this is my upbringing. And it was until I was about five years old. When I was about five years old, my parents uh, went to a evangelistic uh, meeting. What was it mean? It was part of, they were in Amway back at the time, and somebody brought in a, a speaker that was part of something, and somebody shared the gospel with them. And it was the first time uh, that, 
because they were a part of a ch- uh, churches before that really didn't teach a, a clear gospel message and kind of gave you the idea that, well, you know, these other churches, that if, if you live a good life, then, you know, hopefully your good things you do outweigh the bad things, and I don't think there was a lot of, a lot of hope there at all. Uh, but this speaker, whoever it was, explained what the Bible says about salvation and explained that we are all sinners. Whether we have lived what normally people would think is a sinful life or if we've lived a relatively squeaky clean life, that we're all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God, but explained from the word of God what salvation is really all about. That God did something that we could never do. It's not about trying to... Uh, clean up your life so that you can become a better person and then now God will save you because you've made your life better. Or you've tried real hard at least. But instead, the gospel message is that Jesus saves sinners. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the speaker explained it to them that salvation is by grace that it is a free gift that is offered to all. That's what grace means. It means a free gift. You don't earn it. You can't work for it. If you try to earn it, you don't get it. It doesn't work that way. But instead, it's received by faith. By, and that means by trusting, putting your reliance on Jesus Christ. So instead of either having no hope or relying on your own goodness to get you to heaven, instead you rely completely on Jesus died on the cross for me. Realizing that's the promise, that's what Jesus did. He came to save sinners. And that is not just the, 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 the nice squeaky clean sinners, but the, even the, the hard sinners, all of us, because we all have sinned deep in our hearts. Well, anyways, uh, both my mom and my dad heard this, and God worked in their hearts, and they responded to this message. And they got stone cold saved. And sometimes, you know, it, you wonder, is this just an emotional thing? But when it's real, there's a change that is affected in people's lives. And one of the changes that it affected in my dad's life is that uh, really quickly, within, uh, uh, within a few months or very shortly after that, God took drinking out of his life completely. And he decided that I, I can't do this. I remember, he, he loved this. He bought a tavern so he could drink all the time and be around this all the time. Uh, but God took that out of his life, and he quit drinking cold turkey. I know that is not something that happens often where people are able to do that, but for my dad, with, uh, the, with God's help and the Holy Spirit, uh, that is something that God did for him. Now, did that make my dad perfect? No. And I, you know, <laughs> would know many, many other things that, you know, it was a process and that God didn't instantly change in his life, the same way for all of us. He starts a change in our life at salvation, but it's a, it's a continuous process. Some things might happen qu- more quickly than others, and in one person, God may renovate this area of their life right away, but maybe in someone else, that might come later. Uh, but there's this gradual, progressive change that happens, and that's evidence of, you know, somebody actually, you have actually received Jesus Christ as your Savior, because when that happens, you have the new birth, you have a new nature, you have, God starts changing your, your heart, and therefore changing your life from, uh, from the inside out. And so, I guess I just want to say, even before we get into the rest of this message, and we talk about drinking, and we talk about all of this, uh, this is the gospel message, 
And whether you have sins in this area or you have sins in another area, we all have sins. But Jesus Christ, again, he, Jesus came to save sinners. And if you recognize that you are a sinner, that is good because that is the first thing that you need to recognize. If you think that you are so good that you don't need a Savior, you are far from the kingdom of God. But if you have conviction, you recognize, I have fallen short, then in a way, good, because then you are uh, light years closer to accepting Jesus Christ because you, you realize that you have that need. But that forgiveness is there. It is there for the taking. And again, I want to tell you, it's not because of a change in your life that God will save you. Okay, you don't ask Jesus into your heart in order to, I'm going to try harder to be a good person so that God will save me. Okay, you put your trust in Jesus Christ as the one that has already paid the price for you on the cross. And he fulfilled the law in your place. And therefore, when you trust in him, this supernatural thing happens and, and God is the eternal judge and he takes your sin, he puts it on Jesus' account, he paid for it on the cross, and he takes Jesus' righteousness and gives it to you so that when God looks at you, you are perfectly righteous in his sight. So this is available to everyone that's here. If you've received this already, praise God. Live out a life in response to that. If you haven't yet, I pray that God would help you to really understand this and that very soon you would trust in Jesus Christ to have forgiveness and then God will start to change your life. It may be a struggle. It may take a long time for some things, but God will give you new resources that you never had before. So this is my experience growing up in, in this environment. Uh, and I, I remember some things. I remember some of the, the rough lifestyles. But because I, my dad was saved when I was about five, I don't have really memories of him uh, being drunk. I don't have all these you know, different memories of these types of things. And I'm very thankful for this change that God had in my dad's life. He ended up selling the tavern. We moved way across town. Uh, which was like two or three blocks because it was a little town. Uh, (laughs) He started a new business. Uh, But, you know, God's work um, in my life really involves God's work in my my parents' life as well. But because of this, you know, I don't have a lot of good associations with drinking. I don't have a lot of, um, you know, good memories that are related to this. Uh, So this is my experience. It's not everyone's experience, and I recognize that. And my job here is not to preach my experience, but my job is to preach what the Bible actually says and what it actually teaches. And we're looking at the book of Proverbs, and we're going to look especially at what the book of Proverbs has to say about drinking. And I try to, hopefully we'll deal with all the different passages that it says, either about uh, wine, uh, some of it talks about hard, you know, strong drinks, We'd realize in our world today, a lot of this is going to also apply to drugs, uh, different ways that people become intoxicated as well. But the Bible has a lot of wisdom here. It has a lot to say about the use of alcohol. And I think we need to contemplate the wisdom that it offers. It is a major issue in our world today. It is a major thing uh, that affects a lot of people's lives. And one of the things that we know, um, I've heard statistically, I've heard uh, even talking to um, uh, some of the you know, Barry County Sheriff's Office is how much even during the pandemic, uh, 
sale of alcohol went up. A lot of problems that result from that went up. It is a major issue in a lot of people's lives. But the first point I want to get to, and I think we need to set the stage for this, and remember I said some of you may be more comfortable with one thing I'm going to say or others, uh, but part of this is I have to be honest, and I have to look at everything that Scripture teaches on this issue. So the first point that I need to make is that the book of Proverbs does not view alcohol as intrinsically evil. Now, I'm going to show you some verses. Uh, one, Proverbs uh, 3, 9 through 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So again, if we made this a sermon about like giving and tithing, this, I could apply this here. Maybe that's something else to take into mind. You know, God wants you to give to him. And he's saying, you know, when you do, when you may think, well, I don't have enough, but you give to the Lord's work, it's saying, verse 10, then your barns will be filled in plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This isn't saying some kind of mercenary, I give to the Lord just so I can have, live the big life. But it is saying that when we give, God will take care of us. But the thing to point out in this verse is that it's saying one of these blessings that it gives, and we have to put this in the context of the ancient world, is that their, their barns are filled with plenty and vats bursting with wine. And it's the same word for wine that we're going to look at in other passages that are here. So the book of Proverbs, uh, again, it does not view alcohol as intrinsically evil. There's not something about it that just in the liquid itself is evil and Part of what we're going to say here is that I can't make the case, I can't tell you that every single drink that you might have is necessarily sin. Now, there's a part of me that would want to, and there's a part of me that I realize this is like, drunkenness is like the only sin I haven't committed. Okay, well, it's not the only sin. Uh, if you want to, <laughs> but the... <clears throat> But it's, it's one that, that specific sin, okay, I haven't. I can't say I've never uh, tasted alcohol ever, but yeah, I've never been drunk, okay? And I think part of that is kind of where I grew up and some bad associations. It's like, okay, I, I don't want a part of that. I know where that might lead me. And so with this in my background, and this is something that it's not a problem in my life, it's really easy to get legalistic about things if they're not a problem for you. So apply that to this issue. Maybe there's another issue where it's like, well, that's not an issue for me. But what we tend to do in our human nature is to say, well, the one that I, I got this down, you know, the part of the test that I get the, I get the A on, I'm going to say that's the only part that really matters. And that to be a good person, man, you, you have to do well in the part that, that I do well at. So it'd be really easy for me, I think, to, to be legalistic about this uh, or to uh, go further than what the Bible you know, says and want to tell you, you know, th- that you can and you should never drink. It's, it's always sin. But I have to be honest with this point. And even in the, just in the book of Proverbs, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that it's always sin. Uh, even though, like I said, my associations with it growing up are, are all negative, but I know that's not the case for everyone. And so, again, I want to stress that I want to have a difference in this message between what I can tell you that's with the authority of God saying, okay, this is sin, this is not sin, which are black and white issues. 
but I don't want to make my opinions turn into the law of God when they're not. And I think we go too far when we do that. And we, you can be a legalist by making new human rules that actually aren't in Scripture, and you can also be a legalist by even looking at some rules and saying, well, this is the one that, that really matters and all the rest of these don't. So that's something that we all we have to avoid doing that. But wine was a common drink in biblical times. I always see that in the book of Proverbs. You see that, see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Another passage that talks about this in the book of Proverbs is chapter 9, 1 through 6. You can read that later. But in that passage, it basically talks about uh, seeking wisdom and coming to the table of, of wisdom. And it kind of personifies wisdom like it's wisdom is a lady hosting a banquet. And if you come to this table, you will have a rich feast of wisdom. And the way that it refers to this, it in that passage, uses wine twice that is part of these, this feast of wisdom. So there's two references, at least, even in the book of Proverbs, uh, where it's not intrinsically evil. It's not saying every single drink is something that is, uh, that is sinful. Now, wine in biblical times was often mixed with a good amount of water. And there's some reasons for why they drank wine quite a bit. Uh, one of those, you think we're used to having you know, nice purified water, not with swimming in bacteria. And so part of the reason that they did drink wine, uh, and they would mix it with water, so it wasn't extremely potent, uh, but the alcoholic content would keep the bacterial down and make it safer for them to drink. It was more sanitary. Now, some would say, well, when the Bible talks about this, it's never talking about, you know, actually anything with alcohol in it. It's just talking about grape juice. And I won't get into all the word studies have looked at that, but it, it doesn't work. It's the same Hebrew words that talk about wine here are the same ones that we're going to see later when it warns against wine. Okay, so it, it's the same thing. It is true that probably most of the wine that they drank was less alcoholic, but it is also true that if you drank enough of it, you would become drunk. Okay, and hence all these different warnings. So, uh, and we're sticking mostly with the book of Proverbs, but in the New Testament too, we could see that Jesus turned water into wine. He didn't, and at the uh, Lord's Supper, they weren't actually drinking Welch's grape juice, okay? I mean, we do here, but uh, that's not really what, the, what Jesus and the apostles were, were using. I think another thing that goes along with this, and again, I started, I looked at the passages in the book of Proverbs that talked about this, and what do we take from this? Another part was in Proverbs 31, 4 through 11, and I'm going to draw from this this point, is that uh, anesthesia is not necessarily sinful. Because in this message, we're talking about losing uh, sobriety and why that's a bad thing. But in this passage, at the end of the book of Proverbs, it says this. It says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they forget, well, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the right of all the afflicted. Then it says, verse 6, give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. And I think the most direct application of those verses 
Well, first of all, I was talking to this, you know, King Lemuel and just saying, hey, if you're a king, if you're someone in a, this a position of responsibility, especially for you, this is not for you to be, to be drinking. You know, just like you wouldn't want your, uh, your pilot drinking, you know, while he's flying the plane. And there's certain positions where it's like, hey, you just shouldn't be uh, getting yourself intoxicated at all. You have responsibilities to take care of. Uh, and he's saying leave that for other people. And the example that he gets is people that are dying, people that are in um, perishing and bitter distress. And so when we talk about losing sobriety, I think one clarification we make that I think is legitimate is that, okay, there's a difference between having morphine after you've just had your knee replaced in the hospital and the doctor is prescribing you morphine and it's in a controlled environment there's a legitimate reason. There's a difference between that and going and buying morphine from some guy in the alley because you love morphine, okay? There's a difference between these different situations. I think this is talking about something, yeah, this would be an extreme medical situation. This could be like a a hospice-type situation that it's referring to. And so, you know, anesthesia or some kind of pain medication like this is not what we're talking about when we say it's a sin to lose your sobriety or to become intoxicated. This would be an exception to this. And this is why also in the First Baptist Church Covenant, we have a line that we modified a few years ago, and the way that we say it is like this, uh, that as a member here, you agree to, quote, to abstain from any sinful or unwise use of addictive or mind-altering substances. So this means if there's an addictive or mind-altering substance, not only alcohol, I mean, this would apply to other drugs, if it is sinful, well, yeah, obviously we shouldn't do it. But also if it's unwise, we're saying that we need to not do that. And so having uh, morphine or something after your knee surgery, I would say is neither sinful nor unwise. Uh, But there's many other things that it might be straight out sinful or in different circumstances for different people might be unwise. And wisdom is something that sometimes can change from person to person because circumstances are a little bit different. There's some things that are straight out black and white, and there's other things where we have to look at wisdom principles, and it might be different depending on your situation. Now, along with this passage, I'm going to give you another point two real quick. Responsibility and wisdom require a sober mind. So again, verse four and five, it's saying, for the king here, it's saying, hey, don't be one of those people. Maybe there's other people that drink, uh, and you know, maybe those that are in, in poverty, okay, they're drinking to alleviate whatever. And it's not necessarily saying that's always good either, but it's saying for you especially, you have responsibilities. You have people that depend on you, and you will impact their lives a lot if you are making poor decisions. So this, this can't be a part of your life. And so I think there is a truth and a wisdom principle here that responsibility and wisdom uh, they don't go well with losing sobriety. That you want a clear mind, you want a sober mind to make good decisions. You want a, a clear mind uh, if you are deciding you want to be a person that has and carries responsibility. And I hope that you are. God, if he, God has given you callings in life. And you may not be a king, uh, but in your calling in the home, your calling in the workplaces, all of these different ways, we have responsibility. And the responsibility that you have to your family, you're going to impact them more directly than whatever king or president that is out there. 
And so take these responsibilities seriously and ask yourself, would it be wise for me to have a clear mind or not? So um, wisdom and responsibility require a, a sober mind. And the book of Proverbs is all about telling us we want to be people that seek wisdom. Next, we're going to talk about this for, this will be a longer point, but I made the point here that not every drink is necessarily sin, but the book of Proverbs especially, and we're focusing again on what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, does tell us and warns of many serious problems that come from the consumption of alcohol. And so we're going to look at some of these passages because there are quite a few of these. This is a major issue, the book of Proverbs. Remember, it's telling us wisdom. And wisdom in the book of Proverbs, it's not necessarily guaranteed statements. I'm not saying that every sip automatically leads to this destination, but it's a warning that you might be headed down the road to this, and you might really want to consider, do you want to get on this road? How far down the road do you want to get? And to really watch this, because these are our destinations that alcohol takes people and often takes people. So it warns of many serious problems. So one that it warns of from Proverbs 20, verse 1, uh, fighting and foolishness. Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Somebody that's fighting all the time. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So oftentimes, yeah, it does lead to a lot of fights. Uh, Bar fights are a thing because people are drinking and they get into this. There's a lot of domestic abuse that is involved with alcohol as well. Uh, People get into it like that. Um, I remember, you know, hearing stories from my dad about stuff in the tavern. He told me a story one time, and I don't know all the details, but it involved him having a gun to his head and realized that, you know, somebody's finger moves one inch and boys, you don't exist because I don't exist. Uh, and just some really sketchy things that, that have happened. And I know we all can think of probably other things, either from our lives or people that we know, where it's like, yeah, there's negative things that come from this. Um, a lot of conflict, a lot of strife. And then just other forms of foolishness as well. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So if you're led astray by wine, if you, if you get into this, it's not a wise thing to do. It's going to lead to destinations that are not good. So fighting the foolishness. Another, uh, poverty. Proverbs 21, verse 17 tells us this. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, and whoever loves wine and oil will not be rich. All right, so it's saying that Uh, Among other things, okay, it's not just talking about wine, but it's saying that you can blow all your money on wine. And there are ways that you can have this and it ends up leading you to not be rich, leading you to poverty. And I think there's various reasons and causes why people end up in this situation. Again, uh, the book of Proverbs is not uh, ironclad laws that this is how it always happens. Because I know you can say, well, I can think of some people that they're doing just fine. Yep, but there's other people that they've been led down a road and it leads to a lot of, a lot of poverty. Um, <clears throat> he who loves wine and oil, this would be my opportunity. I could rip on essential oils right now if I really wanted to. <laughs> but I don't want that kind of trouble. Okay. <clears throat> but pleasure as well too. I mean, just indulge yourself in all these excesses. 
another passage that says something very similar, Proverbs 23, 19 through 21. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your hearts in the way. And then it says, verse 20, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. Okay, yeah, so it says that as well too. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. So, you know, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs are meant to be thought about. I mean, I could tell you, oh, here's the quick little thing it means, but I encourage you to, you know, keep thinking, ponder these things. Uh, In the bulletin insert, all these verses are listed on the back so you can keep thinking about, you know, these truths. Think about, you know, what are the different ways where these type of things, you know, do lead to poverty. And one, I mean, alcohol is expensive. I mean, even if I wanted to, I think I'm too cheap to take that up. I mean, I don't even buy pop if it's not on sale. Uh, So there's that. And a lot of people that, you know, really get into it, you know, develop a lot of bad habits. I mean, not everyone, but there's plenty that, you know, they get their paycheck and within a few few days, you know, that paycheck is gone because they have spent it away on alcohol or other things like that. And maybe, you know, if this is an area of your life, you know, maybe, maybe do the math. You know, calculate how much are you spending on this, you know, in a year. And if you had that money for something else, I mean, a lot of people could work themselves out of debt, out of poverty into different situations, you know, if they were using their money for something else rather than this. But there's also just the effect of, um, you know, indulgence as well. And again, it says other things. You can indulge in uh, other food. You can indulge in, you know, you know oils back in the day, that uh, these different things that uh, were part of, you know, pleasure and the nice life. And excess and indulgence could really lead to poverty too, a loss of self-control. Uh, one commentator on Proverbs says this, industry gives way to indulgence and soon indolence and indigence follow. So instead of being industrious, remember last week we talked about being diligent and not becoming lazy, but uh, whether it's alcohol or these other things, it can so easily, you get into the life of pleasure, the life of ease, and then you've stopped becoming a hard worker and you become, you become lazy, you become uh, uh, in, indulgent and then lazy and poverty ends up following after this. There's also the fact, especially I think with um, alcohol, and you think of other drugs, think of marijuana, uh, a lot of these are not associated with uh, a lot of, um, well, a lot of times it's, think of how many people lose their jobs because they can't get up in the morning or because the effects that these things have. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, because they were intoxicated, whether it's because of the effects, you know, of marijuana in somebody's life. Uh, These things are not, you know, associated with um, uh, giving someone, you know, more uh, drive, more industry. And a lot of times it can be a real problem area in in having and keeping a job, you know, because of these uh, tough areas, you know, in their life. In 23 verse 20, it says, even don't be around them, that wisdom for you might be to realize even the influence of people in your lives. When it says there, be not among drunkards, uh, that being a drunkard yourself is bad, but in many situations, 
it might be something that you need to remove yourself from because it's going to lead you down a wrong path. And yep, Jesus hung around drunkards. We get this. He ministered to them, and there's people that do. And you have to honestly be able to figure out, but is that something that you're capable of doing right now? Or is that something that you are going to be led down a wrong path? And I've had people back in my youth ministry days, you know, teens that, well, I'm going to the drinking parties because I'm going to be a good influence. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Okay. And sometimes we know that's an excuse. So think of what is wisdom and what are the influences that you can handle and what are other ones that maybe you can minister to them in a different way, but maybe not then at that event. So fighting and foolishness, uh, there's poverty and We'll look at a major section here, Proverbs 23, and I'll just say sorrow and addiction. So let's look at this section here. It starts with a question. Verse 29 it says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? So these things, a woe is not a good thing. It's like, woe is me. This is any type of bad thing. Sorrow in your life, strife, you know, complaining, things you complain about, complaints that you have, wounds without cause. It's like, how did I get all these wounds? What happened? I don't even know what happened. And it says, redness of eyes. And the next verse answers the question of who this is. Those who tarry long over wine and those who go to try mixed wine. So it's saying that the ones that receive this are those that they're really into their drinking. And it causes these different effects. Let's keep reading. It goes on and it says, Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. So it's acknowledging there's something attractive about this, something that catches the eye, something that is appealing to this. Uh, but it's letting you know that there's a way that this can become uh, something that is, you know, very quickly something that, uh, a pleasure that can gain a hold, that can, um, you know, become something that you didn't mean for it to go that far, but now it is, and there's a, a, a dependence, an addiction um, that comes from this, because there is something that's attractive about it. If it just tasted absolutely terrible to everyone, probably no one would be in the, uh, it wouldn't be as much of a problem. And verse 32, it says, in the end, so what is the result? In the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder, like a, like a venomous snake. And so you think of the, the damage that causes, even death sometimes for these venomous you know, snakes and saying it's going to sting, it's going to have that effect. That at first it seems, it seems great, but it leads to these other things. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. So there's delusions, you know, it affects your perception of reality. I mean, not just in, uh, you know, driving, but all kinds of life's decisions. You're looking at things uh, and judging things in a way that is uh, off. Um, I mean, also there might be different, you know, straight out hallucinations. I mean, if we apply this also to drugs and in different ways, uh, yeah, you're going to be seeing all kinds of different things. And your heart will utter perverse things. Some of the things that people say when they're under the influence, 
uh, they're saying, not because it's not in their heart, oh, it's the alcohol talking, but what the alcohol is doing, or the drug, it's, it's taking that filter away, and you're getting the unfiltered uh, statements that are coming out of that person's heart uh, that, are, that are there. So corrupt communication, uh, awful things that are said. Verse 34, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the mast, lies on the top of a mast. So you have to interpret, what does this mean? Is that saying it's a, a bad thing? You're making foolish decisions, like you're, you're trying to take a nap at the bottom of the ocean? It might mean that. It might also mean that, okay, you're going to feel like someone that's, you're trying to uh, get some good sleep on a ship, and you're on the top of the mast, and you're going back and forth, and you're going to be feeling sick, you're going to be puking, you're going to have all these effects. So it's basically cataloging so many of these negative effects, so many of these sorrows uh, that come from, uh, from alcohol, from being intoxicated here. And then it says, verse 35, They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. So they struck me. So people, you know, sometimes getting in fights or getting injured and they don't even notice until the alcohol wears off and then they realize it. Um, I remember being at a Packer game when I was in high school and it, the game, if I remember right, it was one of the, I believe, the top five coldest Packer games in history at the time. So I think it was about 20 below wind chill and there were still guys, you know, in front that had their shirts off uh, for the whole game. And I thought, they're enjoying it now, but once the alcohol wears off, uh, <laughs> they're going uh, to be feeling it. But then it says, when I wake, it's like, I must have another drink. You see this, it becomes a dependency. It becomes uh, an addiction. You know, and with alcohol there are, and drugs, there are various reasons why it becomes a chemical addiction. Uh, it also becomes something that sometimes leads to a cycle where it causes decisions that you make that causes pain in your life and then to deal with that pain in your life, you drink more, which causes more bad decisions and pain in your life, and it's just this downward spiral. So, not a, not a pretty picture that it makes here. And we could think of all kinds of examples to add to this as well, too. And if you think of maybe your life, life of people around you, people's lives that you have seen, bad life decisions, broken health, uh, death, people being a victim of a drunk driver, maybe it's not even them, but the victim of somebody else's drinking, lost jobs, wrecked marriages, devastated families. These are all things, not to say it comes every time somebody takes a drink, all these things result, but the book of Proverbs is warning that this is something that oftentimes does result. These are things that are at the end of this road. I mentioned that after my dad sold the tavern, we moved to the other side of uh, town, uh, you know, two or three blocks away. And on our street, um, a block away was the funeral home, a small little funeral home in uh, this, this town. And I, don't, I, I was pretty young when this happened, and so I only have a few memories of it. But one thing I remember is that the whole street was lined up with cars for this funeral. And, and you might be guessing, okay, I guess... What, you might be able to guess what kind of funeral this was. And it was a, a young person from school, a student, uh, that had died. And I didn't know him real well. He was a little bit older than I was. I believe his name was Jimmy. I remember, you know, how 
there was such a huge turnout for his funeral because he died young. I remember, I don't know why this stuck, this was the 80s, that they said that they uh, buried him in his Ocean Pacific t-shirt because he loved that. Again, it was the 80s. Um, But I also remember how he died. And he went to a party. Uh, There were a lot of these, you know, growing up. And he got drunk, very drunk. And he passed out. And while he was passed out, he threw up, uh, but he didn't wake up and he choked to death on his own vomit. And so that's another just memory I have, and there's many other stories that are like that. And so the book of Proverbs is telling us that we need to consider these things. And so if you're considering how much or when or drinking in that part of your life, these are things to take into account as you make your decisions. Now with that in mind, balancing all this together, point four is that we need to always apply wisdom to areas of Christian liberty. So let me explain what I mean by that, by Christian liberty. Now, in the book of Proverbs, they're not Christians at that time. It's before Christ, but they would be Old Testament believers. But as far as you and I, as Christians, when we talk about Christian liberty, what we're saying is that there's areas of life that are not straight out black and white. There are many areas that are okay, Uh, you are not allowed to commit adultery. Okay, that's never something that is right. That's always wrong. And there are other things that are always good that we must do. But there's some things where it is an area of Christian liberty. And to a degree, use of alcohol is an area of Christian liberty. And again, I have to say this up front. And again, remember, I would love to just tell you it's a black and white issue and just never, ever have a drop. In a lot of ways, for many people, I think that probably is the wise thing to do, okay? And we're going to look at some of these different principles, and sometimes it is a black and white issue, but there's other times where it might be an area of Christian, genuine Christian liberty. And I know there in this congregation, and for others that are listening, there's going to be a variety of different views on this. But even in areas of Christian liberty, we don't just say, well, it's an area of Christian liberty, so I can do whatever I want. That's not the biblical principle. It's so we apply wisdom to this to make, hopefully, good decisions. Even though in areas of Christian liberty, the decision that one person makes might be different than the decision that their Christian neighbor makes. And it also might be different in different times and seasons of your life as you reevaluate your circumstances. So if, to make it clear on this, one thing I straight I want to say is losing sobriety is sin. So there is part of this that is black and white. Okay, so drunkenness is sin. Okay, when I say losing sobriety, I mean doing this intentionally or through carelessness. And yes, I mean accepting cases of, you know, medical anesthesia or something like that. But what I mean is the Bible says that getting drunk is sin. The Bible teaches getting intoxicated is sin. If we're thinking of other drugs, whether they're legal or not, uh, getting high is sin. Because God wants you to have a clear mind, and he doesn't want you to lose that. Now, there are some drugs that you can't do them at all without getting high. You can have some alcohol without getting drunk. Okay, Jesus had some alcohol. Jesus never got drunk. Okay, so we have to distinguish between 
uh, these different things. But I need to make it clear that losing sobriety is sin. And I have some of the verses. These are New Testament passages uh, in your bulletin. Some of these are listed in the statement that the church has on the um, use of alcohol. Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Romans 13, 3, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, and not in, goes on, sexual immorality and other things, uh, but it lists one of these things, drunkenness. Don't be doing that. Galatians 5, 21, now the works of the flesh are evident, and it lists sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. You can look at the whole list, uh, but one of those is drunkenness. Now, is drunkenness the only sin that it's talking about? No, it's not. There are plenty of others, uh, but it is one of those. And in that passage, it says those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means that these are sins that unless this is taken care of, you know, unless it is something that you have, have Jesus Christ forgiveness because of these, these are things that would keep you out of the kingdom of God. So these are all serious. Again, drunkenness is not the only one, but it is one of these things. So my point is, getting drunk, getting intoxicated, or getting high, that is a clear-cut, that is a black-and-white issue. And in 1 Peter 4, 3, again, it talks about, for the time is pa- that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, and then it goes on. You know, if you're saved, you know, that's, that's your old life. You know, stop living that way. Start living the new life in Christ. So, need to make it clear, drunkenness is always sin. Um, I think we also need to apply this. So what about drugs? And what about marijuana? Because that's been legalized. And so it's legal. Does that mean that it's okay? I would say if you think of these other drugs, you know, their purpose is to get you high. Their purpose is to lose sobriety. And so I would say legal or not, they are off limits. They're something that we shouldn't be doing, Christians shouldn't be doing, I think no one should do it. it, it is sinful. So it's wrong because getting intoxicated is sin. Um, illegal use of drugs is also wrong because we're commanded to obey the governing authorities. And also, too, there's a lot of unwisdom to this as well. There was a recent article that came out in the Wall Street Journal talking about use of marijuana and some of the things, and these aren't being talked about. And so often when you know, uh, different communities are uh, wanting to bring, you know, dispensaries into the area because they're, they're greedy for the tax dollars or whatever it is. They don't think of these things. Uh, but some of this that was reported, one, even talked about association with, um, and it said this might be a coincidence, but even just how many of the recent mass shooters uh, were reported to be people that were also marijuana users. And it says there might be a, it, it might be a coincidence, but there's increasing evidence that there might be some sort of connection. Uh, in addition to this, when it, talking about marijuana, just the marijuana that is uh, being distributed today is at least four times as potent as it was just back in 1995. And about 20 times as potent Uh, with the hallucinogenic effects as the joints that people uh, smoked commonly back in the 60s. So the stuff, on one hand, 
people are thinking, well, it's now okay because it's illegal, but it's also even more, like 20 times more powerful as, as it was, causing people to hallucinate in all of this, to lose their sobriety. Also in this article, it talked about that it is much easier for young people to get hooked, to get addicted, and that one in six people who start using pot while under 18 will develop an addiction to it. Uh, the article talked about in states that have legalized uh, how the um, emergency room visits related to, to cannabis, to marijuana, have climbed drastically. In one area, quadrupled in a few years. And I also talked about um, cannabis-induced psychosis and just associations with even developing schizophrenia. And one thing in the article that really stood out to me too, uh, it talked about um, medical officials, people in hospitals, talking about a certain syndrome that is increasingly common in hospitals, uh, I'm quoting here, in which you have cannabis users showing up, quote, scrometing. I had never heard of scrometing before but it's something that they're noticing, people coming in, scrometing, it's a combination of screaming and vomiting. Just uncontrolled screaming and vomiting. And it's something that they're seeing, just a massive uh, trend with this. So a lot of these things, when we think about you know, the wisdom of all of this, it's not just getting drunk, but I think getting high, don't do it. So many reasons, whether it's legal or not, uh, I think it's sinful, I think it's also very unwise. Now, that's one thing. Second point, we talk about Christian liberty. Some uses of alcohol may not be sin, but also may not be wise. And this is where you need to use wisdom. You need to think to differentiate between the two. So there's some uses that they might not be sin, okay? And maybe there's somewhere it's, it's fine. But there also might be some uses where you say, I could, but I'm not going to because this is unwise. For me, maybe for others, or I just don't want to go down this road, now, a few years ago, um, we upgraded, we modified the church's uh, church covenant. And the church, we used to have something in the church covenant that absolutely forbid any drinking at all. And part of the problem is we realized that for many people, they realized, well, I can have a drink because the Bible actually doesn't go that far. And we had to admit that, you're right, the Bible actually doesn't go that far. And we didn't want to impose things on people's conscience beyond what the Bible actually said. And so what we did is we, we modified part of the church covenant, and we also created the church's a, um, a statement on the use of alcohol. And we put a copy of that in your uh, bulletin, um, so you can look at that at some point. But it was to say that, yes, this is an area of Christian liberty, but there's also a lot of things we want you to consider. And so I'll just read that. It says, as Christians, we seek to live wisely in this world and reject any practice that the Bible identifies as sin. And regarding the use of alcohol or other addictive or mind-altering substances, the Bible is clear that some uses are prohibited. The Bible consistently identifies drunkenness as a sin. Illegal use of these substances are also sin. And then it goes on and says, in addition, there are many times in which wisdom and love will cause a Christian to curtail his or her Christian liberty for the good of others. We want the people of our church and those we influence to avoid the destruction that often comes through the abuse of alcohol to themselves, their families, and others. Therefore, in many situations, 
abstinence or near abstinence is the wisest option. And in all cases, we insist on self-control, concern for others, use of wisdom, and discretion. So you see what we're trying to do is say that there's a balance. Okay, so on one hand, it's an area of Christian liberty. There's a lot of things you should consider. And even if you're being really careful, consider all these things and take them into account. Um, In areas of Christian liberty, we shouldn't be judging one another, uh, but we want to be able to still implore each other to use, you know, wisdom. So this may mean that there are times where you say, well, I could, I could have a drink. It's not going to, I'm not going to get drunk, but there's other things you need to consider. What is the wisdom? You know, what could this affect me? Could this lead me down a different road? Maybe you have a family history. Maybe your own personal history. You just know you just never should do this. Um, so wisdom may mean abstaining from alcohol altogether or virtually altogether, very, very rarely. Then it might mean that. Um, but even if you, in your Christian liberty, have an occasional drink, you should, we insist on self-control, concern for others. You know, you might want to not do that when there, you realize there's other people watching you that you could influence. Maybe it's not going to lead you down a path, but someone else, it might. I would say also, too, don't be posting stuff on Facebook for, like, hundreds of people to see, like, you know, look how much I love this drinking. Uh, you don't know how many people that might be, that have a, a problem in their life because of this, that you might be negatively impacting. Use of wisdom and discretion. So I'll let you read the rest of the statement and just... Um, looking not just at the book of Proverbs, but all of Scripture, kind of weighing these different things. There are four types of people that might be hearing this message. Okay, some that just never drink, um, whether it's their custom or choice or whatever. There might be some that maybe occasionally drink, but it is infrequent, it is controlled, it's not a problem for them. Okay? And then there's also people where they're starting to head down a road to it being problematic. Maybe they're in a little bit of denial. It's becoming more frequent, drinking earlier in the day, making excuses, can't get by quite without it. And then there's other people where it is, it is a problem. So we have people in these different categories, okay? So in all of this, we need to think, how do these principles apply to each of us? And I don't want to see anyone on, on the path to these problems or in these problem different areas. And so, for many, <laughs> Proverbs 31.4, do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. Uh, the application for, for some people there might be, I just need to stay away from it because I know what the road that is going to lead me down. For many of you, you need to hear this, that alcohol is not your friend, that drugs are not your friend, and I pray for God to help you take this out of your life if it is a problem area for you or if you are on that road for it to be a problem area for you. So I pray for you. Um, be praying for God to help you with this. Do what you need to. Get the help that you need to. And if you do drink at all, it ought to be very moderate and careful. And consider and occasionally reassess the sin and wisdom issues related to all of this. Finally, briefly, the main point of this, I want to, the reason I call this God's wisdom on staying sober, I wanted to put it on the positive side, that God is saying it is wise to keep a clear head, it is wise to stay sober, because God's 
desire for you, God's will for you. God wants you to live a life with a clear mind, controlled by the Spirit of God. And in Ephesians, the New Testament talks about this. And notice it's talking about wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk, how you live your life, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And part of it, here's the will of the Lord. Do not get drunk with wine. But instead, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't get controlled by the alcohol that fills you. Instead, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you do, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And the Holy Spirit is able to control you. Instead of being controlled by wine or by alcohol or by drugs, be controlled by the Spirit of God who wants to lead you into a different type of life. Drunkenness, I'm not saying all drinking, but drunkenness is a sin that Jesus Christ died for. That means that we should take it seriously because Jesus died for it. That also means that there is forgiveness in this area because Jesus died for it. And he can forgive you and he can change your life like he has changed others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us wisdom as we consider these things. And Lord, uh, whether it is sin in this area or other sins in our life, Lord God, we thank you that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners, that he took our sin on the cross. And so whatever sin we have in our lives, let us not be okay with it. It's something Jesus had to die for. But also let us realize that we can come to Jesus Christ for help, for forgiveness, because he has died for those sins. That none of these are are unforgivable, but they are all forgivable for those that embrace the God-man who died in our place. So Lord, I pray that everyone here would be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed. And Lord, that you would give forgiveness, that you would give new lives, transforming us from the inside out. And as we do that, help us to walk in wisdom. And Lord, help us to be controlled, not by these other things and not by sin, but by your Holy Spirit, by you living inside of us. So we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.